0: Well, as you guys know, um, and I've, I've told you this and I'll continue to, this is my favorite way um, to preach, if you will, my favorite way to open the Word of God with, with all of you. And, and the reason for that um, is because it's truly very, very similar to the way in which it would have been done originally. Um, there was somebody within each of those little cell groups, each of those little churches, there was somebody that was probably the leader within that group, they all shared, they all were a part of it. But even in that day and age, looking at the statistics, there probably weren't two or three people in those groups that could actually read. And so to receive a letter from a a guy like Paul and be able to, to share that with, there was literally only a few people probably within those groups that even had the capacity to do that. And so they would sit and they would read God's word together Now, they didn't know it as God's word, they just saw it as a letter from Paul, adding to the knowledge of Jesus that somebody had shared with them, whether it was Paul himself, whether it was one of the other apostles, whether it was a friend or a neighbor that had brought them into the love of Christ, we don't know. But this was their way of learning and growing and conversing back and forth with one another about those passages, about those things that they would read, those concepts that were so in opposition to everything that the world was doing in their day and age, just like it is today. And so what's really nice is we know there are some people that do like to look ahead, that do like to know what's coming. And when we're doing a study like this, it's very easy, I'll tell you. This week, we're just Ephesians chapter 1. Next week, if you like to read ahead, it's a short assignment. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 is all we're going to cover next week. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 is all we're going to cover next week. And so you can go ahead and look at that and let God begin to open your heart and open your eyes to that passage. And maybe that what God's going to do, is he's going to open something that's going to be presented to you maybe in a new way or a new concept, or maybe he's going to convict you of something that's in that passage that applies directly to you or to somebody that you need to share it with. And so, so just keep that in mind. Um, this is a great, great way for us to study as a group and then our community groups break off and meet various times throughout the week, and they dive in further into the text and really talk about it like you would in a small group back when this letter would have been originally circulated amongst the people. So last week, we gave you a little bit of a picture of the early Ephesian church and what it looks like. Um, that ancient city, if you've looked at those pictures of the ruins, if anybody was inspired to just Google that and look at the ruins of Ephesus, what an incredible sight the, the city of Ephesus would have been to behold Those structures that are still there now, imagine what that city looked like when there were 250,000 plus people there. Imagine what that huge temple looked like sitting on a hill just outside of the city. It would have been incredible. The diversity, the languages spoken, the people that would have filled this community would have been impressive even by today's standards. And so it would have been an amazing place to be during that time period. Now, last week, we spent most of our time focusing on Paul, though, our, our actual author of the text, and then that special connection that he had with that church and why that special connection existed. And so what we would love for you to do if you weren't able to be here last week is take a moment this week at some point in time and revisit that message. You can watch it online, you can listen to it online, you can download a podcast and listen to it as you drive or whatever works in your world, just so you can learn a little bit more behind the scenes about Paul and this church, for me, context is everything. I gotta know, where did that come from? Why does he say that? Why is this group of people so special to him? But here was the greatest takeaway, if you will, from from last week. Paul knew this church. He helped to establish this church. He knew many of the people in this church. He likely knew most of the leaders of this church because he had trained them and he had appointed them to these positions. He spent more time with them than any church he had ever been out or ever planted before, and the people there in turn loved Paul as well. Because of this unique relationship, he knew things about that church that he didn't know about other churches. He knew some of their strengths and weaknesses without someone have to him, write him a letter and, and tell him because he helped train them. He knew where they were vulnerable. He knew their weaknesses. He knew probably God-given hunch who it was within that leadership because it says that there's going to be literally an elder, a leader from within that church that's going to rise up and lead people astray. I would be willing to wager that Paul knew who that guy was. I would be willing to to, to say that because I think God probably revealed that to him and he warned those elders very specifically that this thing was going to happen. But more than that, he knew the potential of this body of believers. He knew who they could become and what the church could become if they continued their pursuit of Jesus in the direction that they were currently in. And that is the theme of this entire series. Just like Paul had hopes and dreams for every church and the people therein that he planted, God has hopes and dreams first and foremost for you, but also for us as a church. And you're beginning to see today one of those dreams being realized, and it's an incredible thing to watch unfold. He knows what you will become in him. But here's the thing. We have to choose that path. He will not force us to become anything. That part is up to us. He will enable us. He will help us, but he won't force us. We have to choose that path. So we've got to follow his lead to become who he has created us to be. And this is the tagline throughout the whole series. We will never become who God wants us to be by remaining who we are today. And I asked you that question last week at the end. I said, if you come back here next Sunday, the exact same person you were last week, and God hasn't done anything in you this life, then maybe today will reveal to you that you're just not as connected to Christ as you should be, and that He wants to begin this great work in you that continues day after day after day. And so here we go. into the text. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Easy to follow along. Open your Bibles, your phones, whatever. Doesn't matter. We'll all be in Ephesians today. Verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. In Christ. What an opening to the letter. Paul often writes things just like that that kind of greeting, this flowery, if you will, but honest to goodness truth. He always begins by reminding everyone of his identity in Christ, who he is, and how God has saved him. He reminds people of God's love for them as well as his love for them. This is the standard way that Paul will open many of his letters. Everything in this letter and in most of Paul's work is all wrapped up in Jesus, and you'll find that throughout this text. Paul's reminding these believers in Ephesus, as well as all of us, that there are these incredible blessings that are only found in Christ Jesus. And we'll talk about seven of those today. It's in your bulletin. There's blanks there for you to write them down a little bit later on. Blessings that God will impart to us, give to us, if we are in Christ. Every spiritual blessing is from Jesus. We've got to remember that. Now, the next few verses that we're going to read if you allow them, can lead you into a pretty deep spiritual forest, if you will. That's the the, the terminology I came up with to describe it. Because there are so many interpretations of the next few verses, in particular some very specific language within those few verses. And so one, one of the things our interpretation will allow us to do is keep us on a very, very specific path. We won't deviate off into those deep forests that people like to argue and and debate. And one of the reasons that we're able to do that is because we're going to view this in as close to a light as we can to those that originally received this letter, that didn't have all the extra opinions and ideas and things that currently exist in our world. Most of those other interpretations of these passages didn't exist until hundreds of years after This letter would have been received and circulated amongst those early Christians. And really, those theories didn't gain a lot of following until the 14 and 1500s. And so it was a great deal of time until those things really began pushed into the limelight, if you will. Because here's the thing. It can be hard to interpret biblical text because we aren't alive in A.D. 62. We didn't live then. And we don't really exactly know Greek we have interpretations of Greek, we, ha- we think, we understand, and can divide and, and define things appropriately, but we're still limited in our knowledge for sure, and so we do the best that we can. So our goal in this is to look at it as close as we possibly can via the original context, the original people, their knowledge, what they would have known about Jesus and the church and things like that, because their knowledge would have been very limited for sure, as well as from the original author. What was his intent? What was his motivation? Why was he writing this letter? What was the original author's perspective? This is an easy one for Paul because in Paul's case, we know who Paul was. There's no mystery. We talked about that last year. Paul was a Jew. He was born a Jew. He was raised a Jew. He was trained as a Jew, even a Pharisee as a Jew. He was one who strictly observed the Jewish traditional and written law. And now this Jewish man had become a born-again Christian. But guess what? He was still very much a Jewish man. There was not... We're going to take that out of him. He was a member of God's original chosen people, a people set apart from God from the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was a part of the group of people that were delivered from the hands of the Egyptians through Moses. He was gifted by God. This group was gifted by God, the promised land of Israel. And finally... What Paul had added to his knowledge was now, this was a group of people saved by God through the birth of, through the blood of his son, the Messiah, Jesus. And that was all that Paul added to what he already knew. So verse four, for he, God, chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now he's talking about the nation of Israel here. Because God chose, those are God's chosen people. That's a very frequent terminology in the Bible. How was this nation of Israel, the offspring of Abraham, to be holy and blameless? Well, quite honestly, the exact same way that you and I are called to be holy and blameless. There is only one way to accomplish that, and that is in Christ. We can't do it on our own, no matter how hard we try. Jesus is the only way, because it is His righteousness, it is His holiness that is given to us We don't have any in ourselves, and we must understand that. Only those that are in him are holy and blameless. And so so here's the key to this passage. God chose us. He wants us. He always has. Before the creation of the world, God knew exactly what would need to be done and when it would need to be happening. Before Adam and Eve had ever fallen short and sinned, God chose us. The sending of Jesus wasn't some afterthought, some last minute idea to save mankind. That wasn't the case at all. It had been a part of the knowledge of God from all eternity past. You and I hopefully both will agree that there's no way any of us can understand the concept of eternity past. Forever before now. I can't grasp it. I'm not, it's not possible. Eternity forward isn't a hard enough concept. Eternity past has always been there forever and ever. God knew. From all eternity past, that this would ultimately be the reality one day. In verse five, in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in one in the one, he loves. And so here's the reality. God prepared a path for anyone who believes to be adopted into his family. Key word anyone. Anyone who believes. God didn't determine or plan ahead which people would or would not be chosen. He did, however, predestine that path to be in Christ. Whoever accepts Jesus as their Lord and Savior will be adopted into his family. That word predestine is a Greek word, Paradiso. For some reason, you always have to use an Italian accent when you say Greek words. I don't understand it, but it's true. It means this. It means to set boundaries in advance. So look at it this way. God staked out the boundaries for the group that he would adopt. All of those, every single person in that group would be those in Christ. Here's our part of it. Whether or not a person is in Christ is determined by that person's relationship with Christ. And that's where it can get confusing for some If we read other texts, we know it is not just God's desire. It is God's pleasure for him to save us. He longs to do that. God does not will that anyone should perish, but that all should repent and be saved. It was the Apostle Peter that wrote in 2 Peter 3.9, instead he is patient with us, not wanting anyone, anyone to perish, but that everyone would come to repentance. God wants us to become His children. Verse 7, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. We'll talk about grace next week, that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. In Jesus, through His blood, through His sacrifice, we have been redeemed, now in, in the class that I'm teaching, this Tuesday's the last week for the testimony class, we've talked a little bit about churchy words. And redemption, redeemed is a churchy word for sure. And so we'll take a moment here just to explain it so people are all on the same page and, and understand that. Once again, that Greek word is so much richer than our English word to redeem. We think of redemption, we think of coupons. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what we think of, or redeeming maybe a prize or something like that. No, no, it is so much more than that. Apolotroses is the Greek word, to buy back, to pay a price for, to deliver, to liberate, to pay a ransom as if you were held hostage. That's pretty deep, and that's exactly what the blood of Christ does for anyone who comes to him. If you're not yet a member of his family, if you haven't accepted that gift of grace and forgiveness, then that is what Jesus is offering you. You are currently, in your present state, a prisoner, a slave to sin. Now, slavery gets a little more media coverage today than it used to the last decade or so. It's kind of gotten back in the news. If you aren't aware of the reality of slavery in modern day world, there are likely more slaves now than there ever has been in the entire history of our world. And we in America think slavery ended Oh, no, it's only just begun, unfortunately. It's a terrible, horrendous thing. And in the church, not only should we be aware of it, not only should it pain us, but we should be actively trying to find ways to help those caught in those situations. But in our reality, as a slave to sin, that is our choice. That's our choice to become a slave to sin, our selfish desires. Why would a person choose that? Well, typically, the main reason is they don't know. There's another way, and that becomes our role. If they knew there was a better way, if they knew there was something to get rid of that status as a slave to their selfish desires, as a slave to their sin, wouldn't they want to pursue it? And so I ask you, the people you know that are caught up in sin lives, do they realize there's another way? Have you shared with them that there's another direction that they could take? In verse nine, he, God, made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ Jesus, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment at just the right time, to bring unity in all things in heaven and on earth and under Christ. Mystery. I don't know about you, but I love a great mystery, whether it's a book or it's a movie or th- something that just keeps you guessing, Something where you think you know what's happening and then there's that plot twist or turn and you're like, whoa, I did not see that coming. In life, For some of you, you probably get so emotionally, mentally wrapped up into it that it's this roller coaster ride for you. And it's kind of fun, as long as it's not reality. (laughs) Sometimes real mysteries are a little bit more difficult to handle. Here, Paul is reminding the church in Ephesus and us that this mystery is no longer. The mystery of the Messiah, the secret of the Messiah has come. The plan of salvation for all mankind. How is God going to pull that off? For 2,000 years, since the time of Abraham, he'd been talking about it. How is it actually going to happen? It was finally revealed through Jesus. It was a great secret. God wasn't trying to mislead. He wasn't trying to confuse anyone. He was simply waiting for just the right moment in human history to introduce his son. And no man, and it's proven in God's word, no man predicted that this is how it would happen. Now, there were prophecies that revealed how it would happen, but nobody understood all the dynamics behind it. Today, there's no longer a mystery to salvation. We know exactly how and where and who. It's really quite a simple thing. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved, Luke writes in Acts 16, 31. And then Paul begins to get more specific in verse 11. He says, in him we, and by we he's talking about the Jews, were also chosen, having predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will, in order that we, the Jews, who were the first to put their hope in Christ, might be for the praise of His glory. Paul repeatedly will begin using these words, "we" and "us," for the Jews and for the people of God, because he is one of those. He belongs to that group. The people that he's writing to, for the most part, did not. In this particular case. God chose this group of people, the Jewish people, ultimately to save all of humanity through. That is the line from which Jesus came. But in verse 13, there's a dramatic shift. He now changes his language, and he begins to use you and your as a part of the language. In this case, he's directly referring to the Gentiles, which would include us. In verse 13, and you, Gentiles, us, also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. The gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our, ah. Oh, now he's fusing together, the Jews and the Gentiles, inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Yes, you, the Gentiles, us, the Bereans, if you will, at this point, in Brazil, we Are this group in verse 12? Paul talks of those that were the first to put their hope in Jesus, the Jews. Jesus was revealed to the Jews first, but now he includes everyone, the Gentiles, in this great inheritance. And then he throws this little promise in there when we believe, we are marked with a seal. Now, this is an incredible thing. A seal in Paul's day was a big, big deal. If you've watched any Uh, any TV in recent history based in the medieval times, and you know the seal of a king indicated incredible power and authority for everything. Back in the time of Paul, it would have been no different. A, A seal indicated ownership. It indicated authorship. It indicated protection. No different for us. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. God marks us, each and every one of us, as his own. We belong to him at this point. And now this seal is a deposit. Within us, this Holy Spirit is a deposit working within us. A deposit, kind of like a down payment, guaranteeing that one day the promise that God has now given us to begin this good work will ultimately come to completion. He will continue until the day we are fully redeemed in His presence. An incredible promise for each and every one of us. Something to rejoice in, for sure. These last few verses, verse 15, "...for this purpose..." For this reason, to share this information ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul is so thankful for this group of believers. He is hearing things. He's hearing about the church growing. He's hearing about the great works that the church is doing. He's hearing about how they love one another. And he just kind of sits back as a dad. And these are all the spiritual children. He is just so proud of who they are becoming in Christ. And there's a list of specific things that he begins to pray for them throughout this passage. Now, just so you know, this is a modern day reality as well. Uh, I will get emails or I will talk, have conversations with people and they'll say, pastor. And I'm like, no, my name's Chris. And they'll say, man, I met so-and-so, or so-and-so, talk with me, or so-and-so, help me, or I was at church for the first time on Sunday and this group of people, they did these things and they made me feel so welcome and loved. And can I tell you, that's exactly what Paul was experiencing in these letters as the pastor of this church. It's exactly that same kind of thing, so well done, church. Paul's thankful for this group of believers. In verse 17, he says, I kept asking, I keep asking that the Lord... The God of our Lord Jesus, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. Paul's praying for the people that he instructed about Jesus to continue to get to know Him better. Now, the question becomes, well, how, should, how can they do that? They've already been given this deposit, this gift of the Holy Spirit within them. What, what's left beyond that? Well, the question becomes, how do you interact with that spirit that is within you? Does He play an active role in your daily life? Is the Spirit what we rely on from day to day or do we rely on our own efforts? Is the Spirit of God what we allow to lead us and guide us and direct us through this life? You see, we all, every one of us, need to know Jesus better. And so Paul's praying that for his people and this prayer has now become mine each morning as I read through this text for you and I as well that we know Him better. In verse 18, he also prays that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he, Jesus, has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. The power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is evoked, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. This part of this prayer is as relevant today as it would have been to those original believers. In its original context, where was the hope for the people in that era, even the Christians? You see, the reality was Christian, Christianity wasn't widely practiced at all. As a matter of fact, persecution was on the rise during this time frame. It would have only been through their spiritual eyes that they could look out and see any hope in that world in which they existed. The only hope that they can find is the hope that is in Jesus. I don't believe we live in a much different world today than that. As we look on the world, as you watch the news, as you follow whatever it is you follow, where else could you possibly find hope besides through Jesus? We need to have our eyes opened to that reality. Because in society today, God's been dismissed. You know that. Faith has been cast aside by these really smart people as a relic from the past, no longer needed in this modern world. The modern world tells you to be self-reliant, to depend completely on yourself, that you are ultimately in control of all things for you. There's no absolute truth at all. There's no absolute goodness in this world. It doesn't exist. And if it does, it's only because you found it for yourself and what you find doesn't necessarily apply to anyone else. I ask you, much like in the days of Rome, where has that led humanity? Have you seen the different statistics and numbers of things that are on the rise? Because this place is in a pit of despair because of the lack of God. prayer. This prayer is as powerful as it was in AD when Paul would have penned it praying for the eyes of the hearts of the believers and for those around us as well to be exposed to the truth of the gospel of Jesus. The hope of a certain future. We live in a very uncertain world, but we can absolutely be certain of our future in Christ and then be open and honest with sharing this hope with others that do not know him yet. They are living in a hopeless world that is dying all around them. And we have a hope to offer. As a part of this hope, we realize that we have been called to be God's holy people. We are God's riches and treasures. I ask you, when was the last time someone ever called you a treasure? Even your spouse. (laughs) As a gift. Incredible that God of the universe thinks of us in that exact way. But there's more. There's more in this prayer that Paul is revealing to them. We are promised a portion of God's power. His all-encompassing power, his power to create the universe, his power to forgive sins, his power to bring Christ back from the death. Every single one of us have access to that power within this life in our own worlds via this Holy Spirit that he has given us. And in verse 22, he has placed all things under the feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The last thing Paul throws in there is a reminder that Jesus, who so loved them that he gave his life for them, that he has now been placed in authority above all things. Jesus is truly in control. We don't need to explain that. He has authority over all things. And so as we close, all I wanted to do was wrap up those seven blessings that were hidden throughout this passage. And there's a chance for you to write those down if you will these are the things that are available to you today. If you are a follower of Christ, you've already been given these blessings. Whether or not you acknowledge them or have been thankful in your life, well that's between you and Christ. If you are not yet a follower of Christ, these are seven blessings that are you are being offered right now if you choose to believe and give your life to Jesus, this these are the things that we become in Jesus. So the first one, in verse 4, we are chosen in Christ, to be holy and blameless. And our reminder there is that the only way we could ever be holy or blameless is in Christ because I am not holy and blameless in any way. It is only through His holiness that I am given that ability. The second one, in verse five, we are adopted into the family of God to be his sons and daughters. God chooses you. In this world in which we live, where people do not choose others, people, rejection is the absolute word of the day. We cast aside everyone that is not like us. God says, forget all of that. I choose you no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've come from. I choose you and want you to be a part of my family. An incredible gift, an incredible blessing. Number three, in verses six, and eight, Paul reminds us that we are freely given this gift, his glorious grace, something that we'll dive pretty deep into next week. It's an incredible, incredible thing that he has to offer us, a blessing for sure. Number four, in verse seven, God's incredible redemptive work is revealed and shown to those in Ephesus. Jesus redeemed us through his blood and offers us forgiveness for our sins, a gift only made possible through that sacrifice that he made. Number five, in verses nine and 10, we discover that the mystery or the secret surrounding salvation for all the earth has been revealed through Jesus. And that mystery needs to be revealed in this modern era. People do not know salvation or what it means. Number six, in verses 13 and 14, we receive the blessing of the Holy Spirit within us to set us apart, to make us holy. God completes our redemption one day when we are with Him in heaven. Until then, we are sealed with this mark, the Holy Spirit. And finally, in verse 18, number seven, it's revealed to us that we become God's treasure. We are a part of the riches of His glorious inheritance. God views us as a treasure that he longs to be with. It's an incredible thought for us to ponder. And this is who we become in Christ. And this is all in just chapter one of the book of Ephesians. This is what's in store for those that believe and this is who you can become in Jesus if you have not yet confessed that. You see, our reality is every week, our goal is to help strengthen people in their faith, absolutely. It is to empower people and their faith to not be who they are today, but to move past that in God's eyes, to encourage people in their daily lives and struggles and to challenge those of us that already believe. But every time we get together, the good news of Jesus and his coming willingly to this earth and his death, his burial, and his resurrection need to be shared with people. This promise of these blessings need to be shared with people because you never know who might be listening. And if there's someone that has never heard about the love of Jesus and how he has already put aside an opportunity to be adopted into his family, all we have to do is say, sure, pick me. They gotta find that out. So if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, you've never asked for forgiveness of your sins, you've never repented of your sins, you've never joined with Jesus in the waters of baptism, then please consider that today. Consider accepting these blessings that he gives so freely to every one of us. I pray that as time goes on, that, uh, that that water behind me begins to be filled with people that realize they're broken and realize the hope that exists only in Christ and come to know him. Father God, I pray for this morning, for your hand upon your words that you issued through the Apostle Paul. Incredible words of encouragement and challenge to his people as we study through this book of Ephesians. Father, these blessings that you so richly lavish on us that we don't deserve in any way, Father, I pray that we embrace those. When we feel like we're not worthy, help us realize that you died for us. When we feel like we're not good enough, help us realize that your grace and forgiveness and mercy pour over us constantly. And Father, as we come into contact with those that are hopeless, Father, those that are in those pits of despair that this world has created in their lives, I pray that we begin... (laughs) to open their eyes to the reality of who you are and the hope that is only found in you, a hope that can restore their life, their marriage, their job, you name it. Father, hope that can be present in our lives as well. Be with us today as we continue to worship if there's anyone that needs prayer, realizing, accepting, embracing these gifts, or if there's anyone who hasn't come to know you yet, I pray that today is the day the Spirit moves in their life. It's in Jesus' name we pray.